Welcome to Activate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey everyone, you are tuned in to another episode of the Aptivate podcast brought to you by Remerge. I, as always, am your host, Tommy. This is episode 60-something, I believe, which is awesome. We very genuinely appreciate everyone who listens and supports the podcast. If you enjoy it, give it five stars, tell your friends, and keep tuning in. I've been absolutely thrilled with the quality of the guests that we've been having on the podcast with us of late. And that does not change in the slightest today because we have an absolutely fantastic guest on the line with us, someone with extensive experience working in marketing capacities and in kind of management capacities as well. What's super interesting about this particular person is they live in a region that we have not discussed whatsoever in this podcast, an area of the world that really merits a ton of discussion. But to be frank, we have had a hard time scheduling guests from this region because it's just far from the US. So without further ado, today's guest is Kabir. Kabir, because I'm so inept, can you just tell people your first and last name? Because I can't roll the R in the way that you do to make it sound right. My name is Kabir Chaudhary. And, and yeah, Toby, thanks for uh, having me on this podcast. Perhaps the next time you have me on this podcast, you'll be able to pronounce my last name right. Chaudhary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really trying. I, roll the R. I told you, roll the R. I know. I, let's move on because people don't want to hear me just sounding really ignorant and bad at pronouncing names. In any case, Kabir, how's it going? So you're based in Singapore, yeah? Yeah, I'm based in Singapore. I've been here for nine years. It's a great place, center of Southeast Asia, business hub, three-hour flight to Bali, one-and-a-half-hour flight to Phuket. So I can't complain. That's amazing. Nine years is a long time. What brought you there in the first place nine years ago? I'll actually start with like giving you a, a bit of a background about myself. I come from this really small country in the south of Asia called India with just one-and-a-half billion people. <laughs> I actually thought you were going to say a small country. That was a good setup. <laughs> <laughs> I did my education in India. I, like every half smart Indian, I studied to become a computer engineer, but lost my faith in computer engineering and moved into reality television. I worked for uh, reality television shows in India for almost four and a half years behind the camera, not in front of the camera. <laughs> So I used to work for this company called Endemol, which creates uh, uh, reality shows worldwide. So we used to work on like uh, the Indian versions of Big Brother and Fear Factor and Deal or No Deal. So yeah, it was really exciting as a 22-year-old to be working in this industry. And at some point of time, I thought my learnings were capped. So I decided to move to Singapore for an MBA. And right after my MBA, I got a role at one of the agencies here. And from reality, TV production, straight landed into mobile marketing and uh, have since been in uh, mobile marketing since 2012. I've asked this question a number of times on podcasts because the MBA to me, it can be such an amoebic degree in that you get your law degree, for example, and you're practicing law no matter what. You get your PhD to become a doctor, you're going to be a doctor. But the MBA is a bit more open-ended. So I'm curious from your perspective, how valuable was getting your MBA in allowing you to advance your career and, and enter the mobile marketing space or enter any space? You're completely right, right? I think in this day and age, I think it's the age of specialization, then generalization. And the MBA traditionally has been like a general course, which kind of 
teaches you about management. But I think in my case, it's been quite good because I came from, as I said, I was an engineer with uh, experience in TV production. And I wanted to actually kind of explore other roles outside or other careers outside this domain. So that kind of helped me because the MBA actually doesn't, might not actually give you a very focused approach about one field, but it gives you like a general approach about a lot of different parts. So a little, little bit about accounting, finance, marketing, strategy. So it kind of helps you develop your skills overall. A lot also depends on the network you create from your B-School. And I think that really helps you in your career moving forward. Totally makes sense. So you went from B-School into immediately mobile marketing. Was there anything in particular that had attracted you to working in agency environments or working in the mobile marketing space specifically? Yeah, absolutely. Especially started working in, in an agency in 2012. Mobile was like up and coming. People were talking about this is going to be the year of mobile. And they've still been actually, since then, they say that at, at the start of every year, which has not changed. As someone who wanted to explore the world of advertising and marketing, I think it was a really exciting space. And I'd like to uh, think retrospectively and kind of say that probably it was a good move. It totally was because mobile is on the rise, if you haven't heard. It is so true. It's I actually also started in this space in, in 2012, maybe 2013, one of the two. It's literally every conference you go to, there's a graph that's going up until they're talking about the rise of mobile and the fall of desktop or whatever else, TV, who knows? It's kind of hilarious, but awesome. So you entered the agency space. You've been doing it for, you've been in Singapore for nine years now. So I'm guessing throughout the course of that nine years, you've been working in marketing capacities, more or less. Could you tell us a little bit about where you're at today and what you guys focus on at MNC Saatchi Performance? So yeah, I joined MNC Saatchi Performance five years ago. I was, I think, the fourth employee in Asia Pacific for the agency. And we've actually been able to grow it to almost 100 people across eight offices in seven countries. It's been great to be a part of that growth as well. And yeah, the market is really exciting. We are opening new offices every year. We have three offices in Southeast Asia. We have two offices in India, one in Australia. And yeah, onwards and upwards from there. That's a lot of offices. You have three in Southeast Asia. What countries in Southeast Asia? Obviously Singapore, but what else? And why have you decided to have offices in those other two countries? Oh, yeah, sure. So I'll start with Singapore, right? So I think Singapore is our uh, APAC headquarter. And I think if for you or the audiences who are not aware, Singapore is in general the business hub for Asia. It is extremely, the ease of doing business here is pretty good. The talent in Singapore and the talent that Singapore attracts is really good. So it's very good to get very good advertising as well as digital and data talents here. At the same time, I think, and a lot of regional clients are based in Singapore. So if someone wants to set up a business in the whole of Southeast Asia, perhaps even it's kind of like a window to China as well. So uh, like, for example, TikTok, uh, one of their main offices in Asia outside of China are based in Singapore. It is actually the business hub of Asia. And so for that reason, we have actually, we have set up our agency uh, headquarters in Singapore. You just brought up an interesting point. You said Singapore attracts such good talent. And I'm curious, is there any particular reason why they attract such good talent? Or is it because they're so friendly to businesses there that people just want to do business and as a result, talent comes in? Singapore has a great standard of living. And for that reason, it attracts a very good talent as well. But at the same time, I think why because the ease of doing business here is really good, 
a lot of companies are set up which obviously want to attract good talent so it, it works both ways totally makes sense all right i interrupted you what are the other two countries where you guys are are focused in, in southeast asia yeah so uh, we a couple of years back we started an office in indonesia and just this year we started an office in thailand indonesia is, is one of the big markets in southeast asia their population is over like a 200 million somewhere around 250 million people it is one of the biggest markets in terms of uh, digital native companies the world the uh, likes of i don't know if you heard of them but i'm not sure if uh, there uh, people are familiar with these names but huge digital native companies like gojek or bukalap park from indonesia so i think overall it is one of the most attractive markets in southeast asia in terms of just the size and as well as i think the growing um, uh revenues right uh, that's one of the reasons we've set it up there but that doesn't mean you only buy media in thailand indonesia and uh, singapore because with media the good thing is that you can buy media everywhere even if you're not there in the market so we we've been traditionally buying media in indonesia for the last 5 years even when we were not there but it's just like when you actually start getting more local clients we start setting up offices there so that's actually been our strategy and that's what we did with thailand and similarly with india and australia as well when we're talking about a region like apec there are so many countries so many dialects so on and so forth cultures whatever there's everything's different because there's a bunch of different countries is it more challenging for you say based in singapore to do business with someone in korea or japan or china or any of those countries especially non english speaking markets it's more difficult so i would say it is difficult for us to actually have clients in china or in japan or in korea so and i can't comment a lot on those markets because we do not work there and we don't don't have offices there unlike india or southeast asia uh, you could actually you could create you could have an office you could work with clients there without having an office there uh, without even ha- having uh, locals in those markets or even in singapore you can start business with these markets but at the same time with with markets like uh, china or japan i think it's very important for companies to set up offices there before you start and there is a certain amount of investment needed to kind of set that up i'm not saying we we will not go into that those markets but we currently are not there but we actually do a lot of business with companies which want to go out of outside of china for example so the companies who want to go international from china and we help them go out outside and kind of help them market to southeast asia and india and take them to the middle east north africa we've helped that uh, we've done those kind of uh, work before totally makes sense now you guys are like you mentioned you're in three countries in southeast asia india australia i just mentioned a second ago you look at this and you say those are incredibly different in a lot of those countries especially when we think of something like probably india and singapore though you know better than i do So I'm curious from your perspective in operating within these countries what are some of the biggest differences that you've recognized between let's say for example like India and Singapore in terms of how you do business or how marketing is conducted etc India and Singapore are two like polar opposites in terms of uh, markets right so uh, Singapore is a 5 million population country while India is 1.5 billion people Singapore is a highly developed market with probably one of the highest per capita incomes while India is a developing nation which has lower the gdp per capita so it is a starkly different market that's the great thing about apac because if you work in apac you can work across an india uh, you'll work across southeast asia 
where there are countries like Vietnam and Thailand and Indonesia and Philippines where people uh, speak indigenous languages and have indigenous cultures and you'll be working with with people from those markets and collaborating with them so it's quite a melting pot right and i think singapore because it attracts good talent as well so it becomes kind of a melting pot of cultures and languages and it's great that way to be in this region overall when you see in terms of marketing so say for example in india the smartphone penetration would be perhaps like around what 30 to 40% of the population uh, while in a market like singapore it's 100% everyone here has a smartphone while in india there would be like 99% or sorry 95% of the smartphones would be android in singapore it would be a 50% android versus 50% uh, ios market so yeah it's completely uh, i would say singapore the demographics and the market behavior even like revenue per user or advertisers would be perhaps closer to what it is in the US would you say that businesses in somewhere like singapore or in the philippines or indonesia that they've thought more about mobile than in a country like india meaning have they developed more strategies around mobile be it developing apps or developing strong performance marketing plans around apps are they further along in that kind of journey than what you've recognized in india or even in other countries outside of india I'll just like kind of step back and instead of going into one particular market I'll just step back and I'll try to like kind of uh, summarize the market for you right so in general APAC is what we are trying to do here is we are trying to summarize 60% of the world population it is basically uh, what like 4 billion people in Asia Pacific which includes like China and India and obviously as I said right a lot of these markets are really really different but what is really something which you might find interesting is about markets like india and indonesia most people who have actually had access to the internet have had the access to the internet through uh, via their uh, phones and they've never actually had a desktop or a laptop so they have completely skipped uh, the online revolution when the desktop came in or the laptops came in the first thing that they actually had was feature phones which later led to smartphones and i think the app economy in these some of these markets like indonesia and vietnam philippines i would say is way way more advanced than a lot of uh, bigger markets just the use of the kind of apps uh, that a common man probably who makes perhaps 10 dollars a day in a market like india the kind of apps that they use and their digital lifestyle has completely transformed in the last 5 years it's really interesting kabir you've taken us through Some of the nuances in APEC, I do think it's astoundingly interesting that the mobile phone has really supplanted the desktop in the sense that like you said a lot of consumers haven't even used desktop at all really in these regions. But I'm curious if we could take a step back further and look at the more global level. What are the some of the differences that you've recognized in how performance marketing is executed in APEC versus let's say maybe the US or Europe or really the world around it however you want to frame it i'm just curious to understand what are the some of the biggest differences that you've recognized in your experience yeah i think the performance marketing principles do not change in any of these markets and it's similar for apac as well where while marketers in the us would be looking at well, like cac goals or return on ad spend or looking at a 7 day roi or something like that we would be looking at similar metrics on a daily basis as well having worked in this region in mobile marketing i've realized that perhaps uh, 
when I started the, we were, I think APAC in general, Asia in general was a few years behind the US in terms of adaptability of change or new technologies coming in here. In the past couple of years, we have come almost at the, at par. Uh, and there are a lot of new um, or companies or new like ad tech players that are coming out of APAC as well, and which are actually kind of uh, making a name for themselves globally. Totally makes sense. I want to change gears for a second. And I want to ask you just a few more questions before I let you go, because I know it's quite late where you are and it's quite early where I am. This is a question I often ask guests on the podcast. And I'm curious to get your response because, again, you bring it just a very unique perspective of being a guest from a region that we haven't really explored at all. Uh, and that question is, in your mind, when you think about performance marketing, if you had to choose one thing that the industry could do better very quickly in your market, for example, what would that one thing be? I would actually say not just in our market, perhaps everywhere. I would say what the industry could do better is measurement. There are a lot of companies which are trying to do it really well. And a lot of companies, like since I've seen, have evolved and developed great technologies and all of that. But I think as an industry, we haven't challenged measurement the way it has been with the IDFA deprecation happening. Perhaps GID will follow suit as well. Uh, that will actually help challenge the industry to evolve it even further. I believe actually that the way to go further is more towards incrementality than the attribution measurement. This wasn't a plugin for Remerge, but... <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to go that route and you said incrementality and now my ears perked up. <laughs> That's great. You just mentioned it yourself. I talk about incrementality a lot. Our business does at Remerge. Uh, we talk about it quite a bit. We also think it's an important part of the future. I'm curious to understand, is incrementality measurement very commonplace within the partners that you work with at MNC Saatchi Performance? I think it's becoming more commonplace now. And I think it is coming with uh, knowledge sharing and education. And obviously, like partners like yourself and a lot of other companies are trying to obviously, with our help as well, are trying to actually amplify the knowledge around this. It is like a lot of advertisers are coming to terms with it. But I think one of the main problems with um, incrementality measurement is that it is difficult and you need to really get your uh, like act together to be able to do it well. A lot of while attribution measurement is easy, right? You have a dashboard and you have all the numbers flowing in and they look great and you can show them through the management and you get a bonus. But I think <laughs> incrementality measurement is something that really challenges the norms. The future of measurement I feel in performance marketing is third party incrementality measurement. Uh, not first party, uh, by first party, the phase, you know, the kind of stuff that happens on the Facebooks and Googles of the world where they do lift measurement, which is great as well. And I'm not doubting what they're measuring, but it is that also is kind of marking your own homework. So I think the future of measurement is perhaps uh, third party incrementality measurement. And if someone is able to crack it, that would be awesome. I totally agree with you. And I think one of the big themes within what you just said is why I would argue incrementality isn't more ubiquitous is because it's not easy enough yet, which is one of the points that you made. It takes paradigm shifts in the in the manner in which you look at your advertising campaigns. You have to really like understanding statistical significance is a different kind of skill other than understanding how click and views can impact your attribution in the last touch framework. So it requires massive shifts. But if there was a third party that could create, I guess you could say, the experience that you get working with AppSlyer, Adjust, Coachava, Branch, whoever. If there's a third party that could mirror that experience, but 
measure incrementality, that would be invaluable to this business. And that would really get everyone, I think, on the same page. Would you agree? That's the North Star, right? And I think that's what uh, companies such as AppsFlyer or Adjust and they should try to achieve, right? Because when we are, when as advertisers or agencies, when we are measuring performance, we are trying to actually measure incrementality by using attribution. What we are trying to do is actually measure the incremental value of of our, our marketing campaign. And that is a way we do that is using attribution and the logic or algorithms and attribution. So yeah, like that's a North Star, as I said, right? I think if anyone is able to crack it, that would be awesome. I became more aware of the subject of incrementality later in my, you could call it mobile marketing career, whatever you want to call it. Starting in 2013, I would say probably three, four years ago is when I started understanding some of the concepts of it. Because for the longest time, I had just figured... Click and view, that's what we do. Funny catchphrase. When did you become more passionate about this particular subject or when did it start to play a larger role in the manner in which you looked at performance marketing KPIs and measurement? That's a great question. I, I don't know. It wasn't like a um, eureka moment when I started like really uh, looking into it. I follow industry news uh, as much as everyone else. I think I started with reading about it. Perhaps it might might have been a, an article by Remerch. I don't know. <laughs> but it was, I think, like probably around the same time, right? Like two, three years ago when I really started reading about it and I started thinking that, and obviously speaking to advertisers as well, that I think this is something which is important. And I think when once you work in this industry for a while, you understand the way, way, way things work, the way things are reported. And uh, you kind of know what the reality uh, behind a lot of the stuff that are, what a lot of the stuff that that is displayed on these easy-looking dashboards is. Right. I would just say it was wasn't a eureka moment. It was just a couple of years ago, as perhaps you would have like come across it. Yeah. No, I think we were probably coming across this information at the same time as was the majority of the industry, which totally makes sense. But. It's almost 10 p.m. your time. It's time to let you go. I have absolutely enjoyed our conversation today and genuinely appreciate you coming on the podcast to um, discuss some of what you've recognized in APAC as well as your thoughts on attribution, which I tend to believe we are very much so in line and think the same thing in that regard. But thank you so much, Kabir. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thanks, Tommy, but I won't let you go unless you can pronounce my last name. Yeah, all right. Well, I was going to do a sign-off. So for those listening... Today's guest is Kabir Chowdhury, who is the managing partner APEC at MNC Saji Performance. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And it was great speaking to you. Perhaps we can speak in the near future. Yes, I would love to. And I promise you, I'll get it better next time. That's embarrassing. Thank you so much, Kabir. We really appreciate it. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.